This morning I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Holy Scripture to Genesis chapter number 6. Genesis 6 this morning. Genesis 6 verse number 5 tells us that in the days of Noah the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What was it that made the wickedness of man great back in the days of of Noah? Maybe it was idolatry or perhaps it was immorality. The Bible tells us specifically that in the days of Noah before the great flood, the earth was filled with violence. Genesis 6, look with me at verse number 11. The earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with Violence. Look at verse number 13. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now here's the thing. In Matthew 24, verse 37, Jesus said, As the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming will the, the coming of the Son of Man be. And whatever characterized the days of Noah, whatever violence was present in the cultures and the civilizations back in the day, the same is also found in our day today. We live in a world of violence. In the U.S. alone, a violent crime occurs every 24 seconds, a murder every 30 seconds, An aggravated assault every 39 seconds. A robbery every 1.7 minutes. A rape every four minutes. This is data published by our own governments. Last week I reported that the average young person will see or view 200,000 acts of violence on TV before they're 18 years old. We call it entertainment today. And of course, we could discuss the causes of these things and the cures for these things. But for our purposes this morning, I simply want to establish that the days of Noah were no different than our own today. But here is what I propose this morning. My thesis from the scripture text this morning is this. In his grace, God has always prepared and preserved some to be a witness for him in their time. And think, think of, with, with me of, of Moses back in Egypt. The Egyptians were polytheistic. They worshiped many gods. They were abusive to the Jewish people, subjecting them to slavery. Yet God in his grace used Moses to introduce Pharaoh to Jehovah, the great I am, and lead Israel out of slavery. Think with me of Elijah in Judah. The people of Judah were backslidden. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel worshiped the Baals, yet in his grace, God in his grace used Elijah to declare the word of God to the king and to the queen and demonstrate the supremacy of Jehovah over the the, the prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel. Think with me of Daniel in captivity in Babylon. The Babylonians had no regard for the God of heaven and earth, yet God in his grace raised up Daniel to show the Babylonians and the Persians there that God is the one only true and living God. And so here this morning in Genesis 6, before the flood, when the world was corrupt with violence, 
God, in his grace, prepared and preserved Noah to be a witness for him. It wasn't Noah's goodness. It was God's grace in this case that was operable then as it is now. Look at Genesis 6, verse number 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I prepared a message titled, The Grace of God in the Great Flood. Let me pause for prayer. God in heaven, we thank you so much for your righteous judgment as is evident in the great flood, but more so we thank you for your your amazing grace that is evident in the great flood. And God, we lament that we live in a world of, of violence. Our culture is corrupt and every thought of, of man is evil continually. And God, we sometimes despair as we watch the news and as we consider our own country and culture, but yet we're so thankful for your grace. I pray that you'd go before us now as we study this narrative. May your spirit be our teacher, for I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. This morning we begin with the person of Noah. After a long and rapid list of genealogies of Adam through Cain, that's chapter four, and Adam through Seth, that's chapter five, it's refreshing now to pause in Genesis chapter six with one named Noah. And we learn something of his life. Here's what we can learn. First, Noah was a forgiven man. How do I know that Noah was a forgiven man? Genesis 6, verse number 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And folks, it is God's grace that saves us. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, did Noah have faith? Well, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 that Noah was a man of faith as demonstrated by his obedience in building the ark. God's grace and Noah's faith give me no other conclusion than to say that Noah was a forgiven man. I trust that is your testimony this morning. But also, secondly, Noah was a faithful man. Letter B, Noah was a faithful man. Verse number nine, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. That Noah was declared just proves that he was right or he was righteous, I think is how the ESV reads. He was righteous before God, just before God. That Noah was declared perfect in his generations or blameless or having integrity proves that he was right before his fellow man. And whatever else was happening in the world at the time of Noah, Noah behaved himself in such a way that it is said of Noah at the end of verse number nine that he walked with God. The only other man of whom that is said is Enoch back in chapter 5 verse 24 and Enoch would have been Noah's great grandfather so Noah was a forgiven man he was a faithful man letter C he was a fruitful man verse number 10 and Noah begot three sons Shem Ham and Japheth now three children is no big deal I have five children. To some of you, five children is no big deal because you have more than that. But out of curiosity this week, I Googled who has had the most children in history. And according to the Google machine, in the 1700s, there was a couple who had 69 children. Can you believe that? Listen to this. 16 pairs of twins 
seven sets of triplets and four sets of quadruplets. Between 1725 and 1765, all right, follow, 40 years, you're following this, a total of 27 birth events gave them 69 children. Now, we're talking about grace this morning. That family needed a lot of grace, right? (laughs) Can you imagine? But what is the, the, the significance here is that Noah's three sons are those from whom everyone else in the world has since descended. And the Bible explains that the earth was populated through Noah's three sons. In fact, turn the page ahead to chapter 9, Genesis chapter 9, look at verse number 19, chapter 9, verse 19. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these, the whole earth was populated. I call that fruitful. Noah was a fruitful man, but not only the person of Noah, how about number two, the the perversion around Noah. The perversion around Noah, verses 11 and 12, back in chapter six, Genesis six, verses 11 and 12, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the, the earth. Now, I am sure that everyone who has ever feared and followed God has, has considered their generation to be corrupt. I'm sure that my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents all lamented the wickedness of man in their day. I certainly feel that way about my generation, and I sometimes wonder how it can get any worse than it is today. And so we look back to the good old days, don't we, when we didn't have to lock our doors, and we could trust a stranger A day when a handshake was as good as a contract and husbands and wives were faithful to each other and bars were closed on Sundays and prayer was allowed in school, all for the good old days. However, the old good old days weren't so good. There was perversion all around Noah, every institution, every establishment, every point of recreation and entertainment was corrupt. And by the way, I might just mentioned that it wasn't a consequence of a bad economy or the failure of a political party. It was the fallen intent of man's heart, verse number five tells us, then and now. The depravity of man is why there is perversion everywhere around Noah and around us. It was so bad in that day that God chose to destroy the earth with a great flood of water. We know this from verse number 13. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence to them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. However, here's what we need to, to remember. Although God's righteous wrath and his righteous judgment was unleashed like never before on the world in the great deluge, the great flood, God's grace was also present then as it is now. And folks, when the storms blow hard and when the floodwaters rise in your life or in our country as it is today, don't fail of the grace of God. Know that he is always at work to prepare and to preserve some to be a witness for him in their their time. And God's grace can be seen in number three, the plan for Noah. 
the plan for Noah, and we know God's plan for Noah. This is a a familiar event to us, but consider first the process. The process is that Noah was to build an ark, a boat to float on the waters that would cover the earth. And toward that end, God gave Noah very specific instructions regarding the construction of the ark, details of the construction. Look with me at verses 14 and 15. Genesis 6, verses 14 and 15. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits. What is that in our terms? 510 feet long. It's nearly one and a half football fields long, big enough for three of NASA's space shuttles to fit there in the ark nose to tail. It was 50 feet tall, like a a four-story building in our day today. It had the capacity of 450 semi-trailers, the biggest wooden ship ever built. Look at verse 16. You shall make a window for the ark, And you shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark on its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks, three stories. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you, eight people in all. And of every living thing, all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing on the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten and you shall gather it to yourself and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. And folks, there are so many questions that we have at this point. How did Noah and his sons have the technology and the manpower to build such a boat? And how could it survive a global flood when hundreds of modern steel-hulled ships are at the bottom of the Great Lakes. Hundreds in Lake Superior, more than that in Lake Erie. Never mind the oceans of the world. How did the animals fit into the ark? How did Noah manage all of the animals? These are the questions that we have. And I would point you to a great organization, you're familiar with Answers in Genesis. I would point you first, of course, to their website, answersingenesis.org. There are so many resources there that speak to these things and answer the questions that we would have about creation, the Genesis account, and, and the great flood, Noah's, Noah's Ark. I would also commend you to their Ark Encounter theme park in Kentucky. It is a bucket list family vacation destination that that you need to go. Answers in Genesis, of of course, has built that life-size ark attraction that I initially thought was a cheap gimmick or an expensive gimmick. But, But I've since been there and it is remarkable and I would commend it to you. They've done such a great job in replicating the ark with the specifications that we've just read here in the Holy Scripture, and they answer the logical questions that that we might have. It's really outstanding. So my intent this morning is not to labor over the details of the construction of the ark or to make the case for how such an event could take place, but I want us to note uh, verse 22, the last line of verse 22. Noah did all that God commanded him. 
Folks, that is no small statement. If you could imagine that few things are more ridiculous to the wisdom of man than what Noah did in his time. Few things are, are more demanding for the work of man than what Noah did in his time. Noah spent 120 years building a boat before a drop of rain ever fell. Can you imagine the demand of obedience in that case? And as a point of relevant application for us in our lives, when God asks us to share a gospel witness or to give of our time and our money to the Lord or to obey in a small or subtle area of life, why don't we do all that God commands us? Well, it's, it's too hard or it's too inconvenient or it's too embarrassing or it's too uncomfortable comfortable. It's, it's not popular. Folks, what's our excuse to not simply obey all that God has commanded us? Noah obeyed in the details of that construction. Also, then we find the deliverance of the creation. The, the ark is now ready, and if you'll allow me just to read quickly some of this extended narrative, chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven of each, each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two of each of the animals that are unclean, a male and his female, also seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days I will cause it to rain on the earth, forty days, forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So Noah with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds, of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. Noah had to take the animals uh, into the ark by, by pairs. There were seven of each kind of clean beast brought into the ark, and that was, of course, in anticipation of later sacrifice of clean animals to God, also for food for man. How did that work? I don't know. Maybe there was a storm brewing and an animal instinct drove them to the ark. Maybe it was a mindless stampede. I I'll tell you probably what happened is God commanded the animals to go to the ark. Because just as God marshaled the animals before Adam for naming, they had a divine compulsion to stand before Noah and to enter the ark. And just as God commissioned the ravens to feed Elijah, God directed the creatures of the earth to make their way to Noah. And just as God prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, this is no different. Don't marvel at these things. This is what God did. Verse five affirms again that Noah did all that God had commanded him. So wrap your minds around this event. God chose a select number of animals and eight people to go into the ark to be delivered while the rest of mankind yawned in the face of God. They did not believe that they were accountable to the Almighty and they were not threatened by his warnings of judgment. But Noah and his family took God at his word and were delivered. And folks, again, a moment of of relevant application. We must take God at his word. 
We read from 2 Peter 3 this morning, not only in our adult Bible fellowships, but again here in our our morning service, and, and some might question the word of God and the promises of God. But don't be surprised if you're in the minority in taking God at his word. There's then the destruction of the creation in verses 10 through 13. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. The flood came as God promised. In this case, a flood of water. We read in 2 Peter 3 of a flood of fire that will someday destroy the earth. The flood came and I I marvel at its timing and at its totality. Regarding its timing, there is no other biblical event so comprehensively dated by God as the flood. And there in the back of your notes, I've given you a resource to follow the, the chronology of events. I don't have this to project for you there on the screen. I'm not gonna take the time to to work through that chronology of the flood, but I marvel at the specific timing of the flood that's recorded for us here in the text of scripture. But I also marvel at the totality of the destruction of the flood. Chapter seven, verse 19, Genesis seven, verse 19, says all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were, were covered and of course, skeptics will, will challenge the universality of the flood, but, but I accept it because the Bible says so. And creation scientists like those at Answers in Genesis make a great case for why we have fossils at the top of mountains and why we have gorges like the Grand Canyon. Folks, it's because of the universal totality of this, this flood. The process, how about the promise? The promise, and I'm gonna move very quickly here because I I wanna reach a conclusion here in a moment. The promise, first Noah tarried, and I'm moving now to chapter eight. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. And the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained and the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water decreased and the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month on the mountains of Ararat and the waters decreased continually until the 10th month and the 10th month on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were were seen. And can you imagine the agony of Noah's waiting There must have been so much uncertainty for these months. How long? When will this flood finally be over? Will we have any friends when this? No, you won't. They're they're gone. Imagine the, the waiting. They needed to wait and realize the full salvation of the Lord. And this was a test. For Noah, and then Noah tested, verse number six, so it came to pass at the end of the 14 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made and he sent out a raven. And your eyes can scan the narrative here. I'm not gonna read all of these verses, but you understand how that Noah sent out the raven and and then a dove in verse uh, 10 and 11 and and he waited and he he tested. And then number three, he, he trusted He trusted, I'll pick up in verse number 15, then God spoke to Noah saying, go out of the ark, you and your wives and your sons and your sons' wives with you. 
Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, whatever creeps on the earth according to their families went out of the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord. And Noah trusted God's word. Noah also toiled. There in verses 18 and 20 and and following. Um, but, But here's really where I want us to go. If we were to continue reading the narrative, we don't have time this morning. In verses 21 to 29, there is a very, very sad, disappointing account of Noah's drunkenness and his son Ham's perversion. And then in verses 24 to 29, your eyes are looking there, Noah testified in response to what happened. And this is where I want us to conclude. Look at verse 24. So Noah awoke from his wine, from his drunkenness, and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, curse be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Noah testified, what's happening there at the end of verse number nine? I I know for most of us, we wanna spend more time in the science of the flood, in the geology of the flood, in the the math, in the the specifics of of Noah and his ark and the animals and such, But, but here at the end of chapter nine, what did we just read? What just happened? I'll project this for you on the screen, a, a commentator that explains Noah was given a conviction that salvation and blessing would come through the line of Shem. Now follow this. In due course, Jesus would be a Jew. We call it a Semite or a Shemite. And a descendant in the line of Shem through whom the entire human race would be blessed. Japheth was to have extended territory His line would not lead to the Messiah, but there would be blessing in store for him. He had protected Noah and would find protection himself. The language is picturesque. Japheth lived in the tents of Shem. One person is pictured as taking shelter with another. In the course of history, salvation would come through a Semite, a Shemite, Jesus. Then... An abundance of Gentiles would come to salvation through a Jewish savior. The people of Japheth were enlarged in their population and in their territory, but there was, there was more involved here than territorial expansion. The gospel would come through a Semitic savior. And when he came, salvation would be for all people everywhere. Many of the people of Japheth around the Mediterranean world would take shelter in the Semitic savior, in the line of Shem. The Semitic people would be the channel or the cradle, as it were, the conduit out of which the whole of mankind would have a blessing. Folks, get over the great flood and the judgment of God on the earth in the great flood. Think about God's preserving grace, Noah and his sons, specifically Shem, through which would come the line of our Lord Jesus Christ. I have one word for this. It's grace. 
Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then God extended his grace to us through Jesus Christ. Folks, God is a holy God. And man is wicked. And the wickedness of man was righteously judged at the great flood. And yet man is still wicked after the great flood. And so we know from 2 Peter 3, there will be another great flood of judgment, a flood of fire. But it is only God's grace that preserves us from total destruction. As you read through the pages of the Old Testament and as we rehearse these familiar Bible stories, we call them, they're they're true accounts, narratives in God's word. We see the righteous judgment of God, but folks, we see his preserving grace and we praise him for that. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you so much for your grace in preserving Noah and using his son Shem so that someday the Lord Jesus Christ would be born as a man. He would die as a lamb. He would rise victorious over the grave, ascend to heaven, and is coming again to exact righteous judgment once again upon the earth. But for those that believe and receive your grace, we might be saved. I thank you, Lord, for this. And God, may we recognize your grace and your love toward us in these things, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.